I'm Jahan Giles, and this is the Take the Next Step podcast brought to you by Johnny Walker. In each episode, we'll meet everyday people, just like you and me, who have been bold enough to take the next step and lead a life of their own design. Their stories will inspire and enable you to be daring. The most important step isn't your last, it's your next. I'm talking to Meg Downey, who is a professional AFL player for the Melbourne Demons. She has just come off a hugely successful season, but it hasn't always been easy. Meg has had to keep her full-time job and has been plagued by injury. But I really want to know what was life like before you made those huge steps into doing something you really love? I met Meg in a bar and we're going to sit down and have a drink and a chat about her amazing career and her journey ahead. Hi, what are you guys drinking? Can we please get two Johnny Walker Red highballs with ginger, please? Sure. Sometimes I have to pinch myself to think where I am today and and the humble beginnings that I actually came from. I grew up in a little town called Shady Creek in uh, West Gippsland. So, yeah, we grew up on a farm of around sort of one to 200 acres. Um, I'd get up before school and, and help Dad milk the cows every day and then, you know, it was weekends of playing British Bulldogs and Markers Up, um, which are football games for all of you people that's not from Victoria in Western Australia. Here you go, guys. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, I, I have three brothers and so, you know, a lot of my childhood was spent playing, you know, games of football and, and that's sort of, I guess, how I developed my passion for footy. And did you ever play any club AFL when you were younger? I went along to uh, a, a training session with my brothers. It sort of took me a little bit of convincing um, to get Dad around the corner, but I said to Mum, Mum, I really want to play with my brothers. And it was a football netball club, so all the girls at my age are off playing netball and I was, you know, amongst the boys playing football. But uh, And there were a lot of people that felt that that, you know, wasn't the right thing um, to be doing and my mum had a lot of people that disagreed with what she was doing. And so I just sort of did what I was passionate about and, yeah, ended up playing four seasons of footy for Bull and Bullen. That's amazing. And what happened after those four years? Uh, So unfortunately in the country um, there was no women's football teams at the time and what that meant for me is that I had to retire at the ripe ripe young age of 13. Hmm. Uh, So I hung up my second-hand footy boots that I'd been handed (laughs) down from my brothers. So that was always the dream that I'd grown up with and um, but unfortunately it meant, you know, I had to put that dream aside knowing that there was nowhere I could play and and that's when I moved to Melbourne and, and started university at Deakin Uni in Burwood there. So, uh, and that's when I was able to pick footy back up again. So you're at university. What was the next step? Uh, so I played football for a couple of years for a team called the Eastern Devils at the time. But it wasn't until um, I, I then sort of started at ANZ. And this is when football in the VFL wasn't really that sort of, it wasn't professional, it wasn't organised, it wasn't going to pay the bills, it wasn't going to support me in any way. So uh, in fact, we had to pay to play football. What? I think it was around three, $400 a year. I, I had to make a choice and um, I came out of university and I, I got offered a a really great role with ANZ on the graduate program and um, and yeah, and that, that for me was uh, a point where I had to make a life choice and um, and focus on my career for a few years. So unfortunately, I, um, I stopped playing football for that period of time. What was the moment you decided to actually throw yourself into AFL seriously? 
So I remember the moment I was sitting at my desk at work. Uh, every year I write down my goals and what I want to achieve in the year and, and one of the things that I wrote on my list this year is um, I want to play in the AFLW and that was the moment when I decided I'm going to take my first step into becoming a professional AFLW player. And so what did you have to do to get back in shape? Because you've obviously had a few years off. So tell me more about that process. I started conditioning myself and running and um, unfortunately I, I trained too hard and I developed uh, hamstring tendinopathy. You know, obviously the AFLW was now starting up, it was confirmed and there were list managers out looking for players and watching players in the VFL and unfortunately I wasn't able to play because I had this uh, tendinopathy in my, in my leg. What was that like... You know, you're finally in this fortunate position, I guess, for women in Australia where the AFLW is it's shaping up into something. What is that like for your mindset when you do injure yourself? I mean, for me, my, my heart just broke. I remember there were, there were moments where I'd just come home from, from training and I, I, I would just cry because, you know, here it was, this door and this... Don't, you might actually make me start crying now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a massive sook, so don't. So am I. <laughs> don't get me going. <laughs> there was this door, like this um, door, and the handle was right there. And all I had to do was turn this handle and walk through this door. And um, and I had this ball and chain around my my ankle holding me back. So uh, it was crushing. And that's when I, you know, I guess started making my own luck and um, and was proactive. And I, I called the list managers and I said, look, this is. This is the situation. Um, I, I believe that I'm good enough to be in your team and I reconnected with a lady called Debbie Lee, also fondly called uh, Debo. <laughs> she invited me down to a, uh, it was like a tryout session and that was essentially the session where I was able to prove myself and, you know, I only did half the session because my hamstring, you know, uh, held me back from the other parts. But, um, but yeah, I think that was obviously enough that Debo said, yep, this girl's got something and, and we want to give her a go. To be able to do half a session and still make it into a professional team, I mean, you must have done a really good job. Yeah, I I guess I must have. I didn't feel like I I did, but I guess, and, you know, this is something that I've learned as well, is that, um, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, I think, but, yeah, I've always sort of been a perfectionist and critical of myself and, and held myself to a really high standard. So I walked away from that session and I was like, oh, no, I don't think I did very well. I was only able to do half, but... Um, but yeah, it was it was enough, and and like I said, Melbourne, you know, we've like great teams aren't created from um, just great individual players; they're created from a, from you know people that are all striving towards the one thing. And Which is so amazing because the whole time you've been talking, I've been thinking that I love that you seem to fight more when people tell you no. Were you ever really worried about how you were going to juggle your AFL games and training? The next challenge that I faced in, in my journey was um, balance and and this is something that the AFL just weren't ready for either because the men, you know, their, their average salary uh, is $250,000. So their lifestyle is go to training at nine, finish at three, have a couple of days off a week and like, you know, don't take anything away from them. They work really hard when they're there, but that is what they focus on, right? And you know, I was managing a, a full-time career and that, that was my first season. I, I worked, I'd actually just started a new job as a, um, a product manager and I was uh, managing a portfolio of something like $35 billion for the bank as well. So wow. 
Um, so it was a huge step up in a, yeah, I know that sounds ridiculous, but um, <laughs> like it was myself and my team. I shouldn't just sort of take all the accountability for that. Absolutely. wasn't just me, but um, the level of accountability in, in what I was doing at work was a big step up. And, and I just received that role when I got picked up by Melbourne. So yeah, so I had th- these pressures all around me and, um, and it was really tough. You mentioned you injured yourself. Now you've just come out of an injury. You're in the Melbourne Demons. And then you've injured yourself again. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would have felt like. It was really hard. We were playing Collingwood and it was one of the most exciting uh, games that I've ever played, if not the most exciting. Um, we were down at half time and, and uh, I remember Mick pulling, that's the coach, pulled us into the rooms and was just like, if we lose this, we're out of the finals. And, and then Daisy pulled us in as well. And she's like, guys, like we've just worked the last four months to get where we are now. So it's up to us right now to change this. And, and we came out in that third quarter and we basically came back and, you know, I remember the crowd screaming and um, and it was just a, an amazing feeling. Uh, the ball was bouncing towards me and I, I jumped up to tap it and I ruptured my hamstring in that moment. Um, I felt like a twing or a, almost like an elastic band break in my leg. I landed on my feet and then a second later um, a Collingwood player came through and, and cleaned me up with her elbow. So it was, um, yeah, probably one of the most unlucky moments of my life. But, uh, yeah, it, I was I was um, then stretched it off. I, I had a neck brace put on around my neck and I, I remember lying down on the stretcher and people like cheering as I got carried off the ground. Um, but, yeah, that was a pretty frightening moment for me. In the Herald Sun, there was just photos of me lying on the ground, um, yeah, knocked out. So, yeah, so it, it was really scary. And my brother looked at me and I saw he, he got really emotional. And then I was like, oh, God, like, you know, what's happening? So, uh, yeah, and then that was all rolled up in the fact that I disrupted my hamstring and, and that was it. You know, I'd worked four, four or five months of pre-season of just like an absolute grind and bang it was all over at the at the blink of an eye and I'd only played a game and a half of you know my dream which was AFLW. Oh my gosh I just sort of have to I guess pick up my emotions and imagine how that would have been for you. You've obviously achieved a huge amount over the last few years and it sounds like you've learned a lot along the way. So what are your five big rules that you live by in order to keep taking the next steps? I think my first rule is um, when I hear no, what that means to me and um, I, you know, it doesn't mean that when you hear no, you you stop and, and you do what you're told and I think what I've learned over my time, and I've sort of touched on this um, from, you know, talking to you over the last 40 minutes, Jahan, but, you know, if, if you're really passionate about something and it's, and, and you, you know, you own who you are and who you're meant to be, then you don't listen to no. You just push through those moments and um, because I guess at the end of the day, you know, if, if you're being yourself and you're owning who you are and, and you're, you know, moving towards something that you're really passionate about, then hearing no is something that you're inevitably going to face. And, and, and yeah, and I, I don't believe in, in, you know, letting people determine your own destiny. You know, you should be in control of, of your own destiny. And so I've never let those people that tell me no um, to, to defeat me. So you have mentioned that your big thing for hearing no is you dust yourself off and try again. So I feel like for anybody else listening in who does hear no constantly, 
that that would probably be your first tip for them. Just dust yourself off and try again. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the difference between those people who succeed and those people who tried are those that actually do pick themselves up, dust themselves off and, and better yourself from those failures. And one of my favourite quotes, my, my actually my favourite quote from Michael Jordan is something along the lines of, I've failed over and over again and that is why I've succeeded. So, yeah, that re- that's something that really, I guess, hits home for me because that, that's been my journey. I've, I've failed far more times than I've succeeded. Completely, and I feel as though a support network isn't something that just pops up one day. I feel as though it's something that is earned over time because I could imagine a lot of people whom you've sought advice from have might have thrown some negative shade upon you you know, pursuing your career in AFL professionally. So I, f- I think it's important to note that it's taken you quite a long time to build this tribe, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, if you, like, just touching on your point there, Johan, like, if you listen to the feedback that you get from everyone, you're, you're going to absolutely, um, I guess, self-destruct because there are so many naysayers out there and there are so many people that say that you're not good enough in their own way, you know, maybe directly or indirectly. Um, it's it, And it's so easy to take on the, uh, you know, the critical feedback of others, but um, I've learnt that I only give uh, emotional airtime to those people that in my life that really deserve it and, and I like to think of... Um, I guess my my life is as an arena and and anyone that's you know chasing chasing something and putting themselves out there whether that be yeah starting a small business or you know wanting to be an athlete or um, you know wanting to get a promotion at work whatever it may be that they're moving towards they're, they're in an arena and they're putting themselves out there and I think it's important when you're in that arena to to listen you know to save seats for the right people and and the people I save seats for are my family. Um, my partner and, and uh, but most importantly uh, myself. And what is your fourth rule that helps you keep taking the next steps? My fourth rule is perfectionism and, and trying not to be so perfect. Um, being, uh, I, I think if you're trying to come across as someone who's perfect and you've got it all uh, all in order and, and you know there's nothing uh, imperfect about you then uh, it can be a really self-destructive thing and, it, and it's more outward focused as opposed to inward focused and um, I think those people that are trying to be perfect uh, uh, can get caught up in, in making themselves appear as, uh, as though they've got nothing wrong with them and, and rather than focusing on yourself and what I and so I try and focus on myself and comparing myself to me and saying you know how can how can I get better and what can I do to, to make myself um, improve and, and move forward and yeah, I think that this is something that I've learned over time because uh, if you if you try and live a, a perfect life, it, it can be um, it can be really really hard because you can be so critical on yourself. And I think that's something that I've learned over time is to is to not be so critical on myself. And um, yeah, because it's it's really I guess a, a really self destructive way to live. Completely. And I mean, there's only one of you out there, so I feel as though. That perfectionism journey should really be focusing on that true self journey and like you've said not to be your own biggest critic but to to learn who you are without any other influence and to love that person. Yeah absolutely I mean being an imperfect person makes us who we are and I think being imperfect also allows us to 
um, connect with people and um, share our vulnerabilities and, and have another go. I think if you're trying to be perfect, you can scare yourself from putting yourself out there because you're worried too much that you're going to fail. So, yeah, I, I try and focus on, on loving the imperfect person that I am. Finally, what's your fifth rule? <laughs> My fifth rule is balance, and this is uh, the most recent lesson that I think I've learned. So balance to me has been... Um, something that's really important uh, to make sure I'm sort of living a wholehearted happy life and I, I think over my time as a um, professional athlete I've, I've at times had tunnel vision and, and just focused on that one thing and uh, and it's so easy to do when you when you love something so much but um, yeah it's a really uh, I guess dangerous thing you know only having one thing in your life that you're you're working on and you're and you're focused on and I think sometimes if you do that, you can lack perspective on things. And um, and so balance has enabled me to sort of step back and, and go, you know what? At the end of the day, football is a bunch of people running around in short shorts chasing a leather ball. And even though that's really important to me, you know, stepping back and realising that it's actually just a sport and I've got air in my lungs, I've got food on my table and I've got water on, you know, in my cup and and you know, having a perspective like that can really, um, I guess, drown out some of the things that we, we worry about, which actually don't really matter. I think I've learnt that success isn't in the achievements that you make. It's not in the amount of trophies that you have. It's not the promotions that you've been given over the years. It's not the mountains you've climbed. It's, um, for me, success is in happiness and, uh, and balance has really helped me achieve that over my time. And so would you say you're happy today? Absolutely. But... I think I'm always working to be happier. I love that. <laughs> That's life. <laughs> That's so true. And I also think those rules can be applied to anyone, whether they're a professional sports player like yourself or they have a professional career, as you also have. So, Meg, now you're here and I'm talking to you today. What's next for you? I, I really want to uh, be in the moment in over this season and, and focus on, um, you know, the little things and uh, remembering to enjoy myself along the way. Um, it's also going to be about um, growth and making sure that I'm, I'm being the best player that I can be and, um, and I'm continuing to push myself and challenge myself. Uh, and then another thing that I really want to focus on this season is just really supporting my teammates. Most of our team are full of 18, 19, 20-year-olds and they're about to embark on a journey that, you know, I've, I've walked in the steps that they're about to walk in. So um, if I can sort of support them and, and help them you know, through their journey and, and um, you know, make them feel good about themselves and, and help them along the way, then, you know, that's something that's, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, feel, I'll feel pretty good about if I, if I can do that. That was so beautifully said, Meg. And I just want to thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today and finding out about your inspiring journey, you know, from Shady Creek to the MCG as you take the next step and you know, forge your way into an even more astonishing career. I can't wait to um, keep an eye on you over the next few years. Thanks so much, Johan. Thanks for having me today. Meg is a great example of always looking forward and remaining positive in the face of adversity. Her tenacious spirit has allowed her to do what she loves professionally. Her tips and rules are super insightful and I hope they have spurred you on to take your next step because the most important step isn't your last, it's your next. You've been listening to the Take The Next Step podcast brought to you by Johnny Walker. 